Welcome to the Rochester Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. We believe that there is no message more life-changing and more relevant than the gospel. It is our earnest prayer that you will be enriched as a disciple and that you will hear the good news today. If you will, stay standing for the reading of God's Word. From John chapter 3. It says, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked, surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but shall have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Our Father in heaven, holy is Your name. Your kingdom come and Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Welcome to our third week in our series studying through the Gospel of John, a study about the evidence about Jesus so that you may believe in Him and and in that belief receive the gift of life. Now in John's Gospel we are introduced to some really interesting people, a number of them who do not appear in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, or Luke. We meet folks with money and folks without it. We meet folks with influence and folks without it. We meet folks with connections and folks without them. And today, as we look at chapter 3, we get to know someone who seems to have it all. And his name is Nicodemus. The Bible doesn't say much about Nicodemus Pinguish among the elite students of the Torah of God. He started, here's what it means to be a Pharisee, that he started at age four, learning God's Word 
And he never stopped learning about the Torah until he was the wisest person he knew and no one else could teach him. That, that's what that means. That's, that's, a, that's a long time studying. It's also likely that he was a lawyer. Well versed in the tradition of his people, he was on the assembly of the Hebrew high court judges called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin itself was a powerful high court of less than, at every time, 72 religious and political officials who were appointed. These 72, or less, held great power and influence, were greatly esteemed, and Nicodemus is one of those as well. The picture we get is that Nicodemus is important. He's somebody. He had power and influence and wealth and notoriety and attention. He's got it together politically, financially, socially, religiously. And in fact, he even believes in Jesus. I mean, here he comes to him and he says, we know you're from God. And, and, and if you look at the story of Nicodemus as it continues through John's gospel, you're going to see him two more times. You see, there's this time when Nicodemus is going to stand up for Jesus, when there are people in the council saying, we should kill Jesus, and he's going to stand up and defend Jesus and say, you shouldn't murder him. It's not legal. If you don't have any charges against him, you can't kill him. And the last time we see Nicodemus in the gospel, the third time we see Nicodemus in the gospel, he is one of two people who helps take Jesus' body down from the cross and bury him after his death. You see, over time, throughout the gospel, Nicodemus' Nicodemus's faith becomes more and more real and it becomes more and more public. That he's going to go from this nighttime meeting to defending Jesus in the halls of court to finally taking Jesus' body and burying it regardless of who sees. He's going to become more and more public. His faith is going to become more and more costly to him. As history has it, Nicodemus was on the short list to become one of the great rabbis in the Jewish tradition. But following the death of Jesus, his name is scratched from those roles because of his faith in Christ. In chapter 3, though, we're still early in this story, and, and, and we see this important, influential, powerful guy, and he decides to have a secret middle-of-the-night meeting with Jesus. And I note that maybe, just maybe, At this point in his life, he's a believer when it's secret. He, he, he's a believer when it's safe. He's a believer when it doesn't come with a cost. I, I'm not telling you to point at anyone, and I'm not telling you to raise your hand, but you might know someone named yourself who has been here before. 
It says there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who's come from God. No one could perform the signs you're doing if God weren't with him. Nicodemus comes in. He's very polite. He's very humble. He's very open-minded even. Imagine having the credentials and the resume that Nicodemus does does and still using the flattering term rabbi to this carpenter's son with no formal training. Very gracious beginning. He starts off pretty cordial, generic enough to not give away too much. Well, hello, Rabbi Jesus. My friends and I have heard about you, about we even heard about that uh, that business down in Cana. Water to wine, that was that was something. And we've heard about your teaching. All in all, it seems that you're doing something very unique. Something special. It even sounds like the sort of thing that God does. Help me out here. I'm not sure. I don't believe that Nicodemus is looking for a creedal statement. I think he's chasing a hunch. Jesus' answer, though, is not very cordial. If, if you're one of those people that only likes to hear about Jesus when Jesus is really nice, you might like next week better. <laughs> but this week, this week Jesus starts with a challenge. Because Jesus says to him, very truly I tell you, no one can even see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. You must be born again. Born again. Now there's a phrase that gets used a lot. And as a matter of fact, there are some thinkers who have labeled it in in the body of terms that we like to call Christianese. Words that we use at church and in church that no one else uses. And so people aren't really sure what they mean. And a lot of times what we find out is we aren't really sure what they mean either. We just know it's okay to use them. And so we talk about born again. And when, I, when we use the term born again, we usually think of altar calls and invitations. We usually think of emotional or spiritual experiences. Conversion stories. I was recently pointed to a survey of people who identified themselves as Christians. That's an important part of this. The people who were surveyed identified themselves as Christians. In which they were given a list of terms that they would be comfortable with using about themselves. These are Christians saying, yes, this word works for me. 86% of them identified themselves and said, you could call me the member of a church. I'm a member of a church. I'll be honest with you, that number was a little higher than I expected. All right, but 86% of them said, I'm a member of a church. You could say that about me. There are some times that I realize I don't understand people very well. And it's right here in the second number. 71% of them were willing to say about themselves, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Now, I don't know how you call yourself a Christian 
and then are not able to say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, but 70, 29% of them manage it. 63% of them went on to say, yes, I'd claim the word saved about me. 49% said they would claim the word disciple, which makes a lot more sense out of that saved word. 41% said they would claim the word redeemed. Less than one out of every four of these Christians would claim the phrase born again. How can you be a Christian and not be confident that you are born again? Listen to me, church. If you leave with anything today, if you say, I didn't understand a lot of what he said, but this I hope you get. If you are a Christian, you are called to be a part of the Lord's church. You know that Christ is your Lord and Savior. You know that you are saved. You are his disciple. You have been redeemed and you are born again. Now what does that phrase mean then? If it's Christianese, what does it mean to be born again? The word born is not that tough. In Greek, that's the word gneo. And it means to be born. (laughs) They nailed it. Okay, as far as translation goes, they got that one right. To be born. It means what you're thinking. To have a kid. To to have been a kid. Like to have a mom that bore you. That's, That's what it means to have gone through birth. New life. But it's the word that's translated again. The Greek word there is anothen. All right? Again is the tricky word. It's been translated again, but some of you may have other translations that have other words. All right? Some of you may have anew. Some of you may have from above. And you say, what in the world is going on with this word that it's kind of got these three possible meanings and what does it mean? Well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to unpack each of these and I'm going to let you see hopefully very clearly that you've been born again. Let's go with option one, the one we're most familiar with, born again. All right? When we say that word again, anothen, it means it happened another time. All right? There are some things in the flesh that can only be done once. But in the Spirit, God is able to give you the chance to do again what you didn't think you could do but once. Did y'all follow me on that? In the flesh, it can only happen once. In the spirit, God can give you another chance to do what you thought couldn't be done again. You see, it turns out that God is the God of second chances. That we can walk in again. That we can live in again. That we can try in again. 
How many of you love the God of again? Get this. To be born again means to recognize that my last time is not my last time. That my last time is not, is not my last time. That my mistakes are not the end of me. That my failures are not fatal. That no matter how much I mess up in God, God gives me again. Because of his death and sacrifice, I am given new life. And when he said, it is finished, he wasn't talking about his life. He was talking about my sin. We're all, man, we got half of y'all almost at church. <laughs> I'm here and I'm feeling it. So just go ahead and preach, preacher. It's happening. These, those sins are finished and paid for and covered in the blood of Christ. Being born again means that I accept what God offers in Jesus. And it's another chance. It's again. All right, now option two. Born anew. The word anew in this context would mean that something is made new. Something is changed. That there is something that right now isn't what it used to be. It's been made anew. That right now it's not what it used to be. To be born anew, you have to realize that your life right now is different than it used to be. And I would be remiss if I didn't tell you, I don't think you proved this at church. Anyone can act holy for an hour. Being born anew means that when I look at myself and where I am now and where I used to be, I can declare with all sincerity that I'm not who I used to be. Yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there. I'm not who I used to be. That my life has been changed. And even further, I understand why I changed. Most of us don't want to change anything in our life until the pain of not changing becomes greater than the pain that will be caused by changing. And so being born anew is not changing my life because I got caught. Being born anew is not changing my life because it's hurting me. Being born anew is changing because I know that my life was hurting God. That it's not a selfish change. That what took me from who I used to be to who I am now was not done simply so I could avoid something. I have a God consciousness that convicts me when I know that I am outside of God's will. And I am born anew. 
Let's look at that third one, being born from above. To be born from above (laughs) means that there is something from outside of me, from above me, something higher than me that has acted on me. Okay, being born from above, something higher than me has acted on me. Something in me has been birthed if I'm born from above. Something in me has been birthed by something that is higher than me. And it wasn't until that hand reached down from above, I didn't realize that I wasn't really living. But if something up there, greater than me, and higher than me, and stronger than me, comes and touches my life, then I can do what I was made to do, but never could. You see, you are more than flesh. You are more than degrees. You are more than an area code or a zip code. It's funny the things we put our pride in. You are more than tax brackets. You are more than titles. You are more than salaries. You need something from up there to reach down in your life down here. You see, being born from above is not about what you know or what you earn or what you accomplish. It turns out none of that actually matters. Being born from above is about what God is doing. And a lot of time we can't see it because of our social position, our achievements, our wealth, and our reputation. And all of those things will close our eyes to it. You see, this is how it is with being born. You never earn it. Being born, that's a gift. So it is with the new birth. And to receive the gift, you have to give your self-sufficiency away in order to see the kingdom of God and make sense of it. Can I teach Bible? In Genesis 2, God reaches down and he takes some dirt and he molds it together. And then he breathes into that dirt the breath of life. That that word for breath is the word spirit. He breathes into that dirt the spirit and it becomes a living being. Now someone can check me on that to make sure I got it right. But my memory's pretty good. That something up there breathed life into something down here. And my flesh has never been enough because I may be some pretty polished dirt. 
but I still know what I am. And the only way my dirt gets anything good is if God's Spirit from up there breathes life into it down here. That I need to be born from above every day. That I need God every day to walk with me. I need God every day to talk with me. I need God every day to hold me. God, I need you right now. And I am nothing without God. And in spite of everything I may have made of myself by my own efforts, Jesus is telling me to grow past my self-sufficiency. He says, you've got to be born again. You've got to start over. Long pause. Jesus waits. And finally, Nicodemus responds. Not possible. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked, surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Now what he says is that being born again, being born anew, being born from above is not physically possible. But what he means, I suspect is that he thinks being born again, being born anew, and being born from above is too costly. Give up self-sufficiency and start over. I don't think that's possible. You see... There is an obviously sinful way to be your own Lord and Savior. Okay, there is an obviously sinful way, Abby, to be your own Lord and Savior. I'm in control. God's not in control of me. I'm the one calling the shots. I'm doing whatever I want. Right? Make sense? But there is a much more subtle and, frankly, much more dangerous way. To be your own Lord and Savior. I say more dangerous because as a matter of fact, there's a much more acceptable religious way to be your own Lord and Savior. Tim Keller says that it's to act as if your good life and moral achievement will essentially require God to bless you and answer your prayers the way you want. And sadly, many of us present ourselves and our reasonably good lives to God and in no small satisfaction look to see Him be impressed. Here's the deal. If there is a God, you owe Him far more than a morally decent life. I got two amens out of that. Maybe it's because we don't believe it. Maybe we're still wondering with Nicodemus.
Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. The waters there of birth. Those broken waters, those amniotic fluids, the water gives birth to flesh. But the spirit gives birth to spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying you must be born again, born anew, born from above. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You must, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. You have to start over, Nicodemus. It's like the wind, this whole born again, born anew, born from above thing. It's like the wind. Jesus knows that Nicodemus recognizes the word play between wind and spirit. It's like the spirit. Now, pay attention. This relationship with God thing is something we can't control. It's like the wind. You, you can't, Joe, you can't tell the wind where to go. Okay, let me get myself in trouble for a second. You can't tell the wind where not to go. That if God says, I'm going over there with them, and you say, no, not them. You, you don't get to tell God where to go and where not to go. You don't have any control over the wind. We don't control who's in and who's out. We can't control God's love or command God's salvation. Even more, if it's like the wind, and I can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going, then what God does is an experience, not an explanation. It's something I experience, but it's not something I explain very well. Nicodemus, though, continues to be bewildered. He says, how is that even possible? How can this be? And Jesus says to him, now you're Israel's teacher. You're one of the wisest. You started at four and you went until no one else could teach you. That's how wise you are and you don't understand this? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen. But still you people don't accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you don't believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one's ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Nicodemus, the only one who has access to the knowledge that you're asking about is me. I'm the only one who's come from God. You came from the Sanhedrin. I came from heaven. I came from the very presence of the one that you can only ask about. But you can't see him because you're in your own way. If you could make yourself nothing, you could see that God is lifting, lifting me up so that you could see him. Now when Jesus says that he'll be lifted up, he's speaking of his crucifixion. 
He's speaking of emptying himself completely. And he connects it to a time when Moses lifted up a bronze snake. I know that you biblical scholars knew that that was from Numbers 21. Verses 4 through 9 where the people of Israel are walking through the wilderness following the exodus. And they start complaining. They're a little tired of walking around in the desert. Even though God was giving them food... They complained about the way it tastes. I know it's going to take a little bit of imagination for you to understand that the people of God would complain in the midst of their blessing. I know that will take some imagination, but work with me. He gives them food and they complain about the way it tasted. He gave them water and they complained that it wasn't enough. He gave them shoes and they complained about the way they fit even though they never had blisters. So God decides to discipline them by having snakes come up out of the ground and bite them, and they start to die. Heavy hand. Well, they're not dumb completely because they quickly realize they need to repent, and they try that. They ask God to help them against the snakes. So God decides to have them make a big bronze snake on a pole and they lift it up as they walked and anytime someone's bitten by a snake all they got to do is look at the bronze snake that's walking along and they'll be healed. Now, I don't know how you teach this passage, preach this passage and don't mention that God could have just taken the snakes away. <laughs> but He doesn't because He's still teaching them. Parents, you ever discipline your child not just to make them mad or get back at them, but to teach them something? Almost every time. Almost every time. <laughs> Cooper, I was honest. I said almost. <laughs> so, I, I, I'm doing my best. He didn't take away the snakes, but he did provide them a way to be healed from the snake bite. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus and to all the rest of us who spend our lives striving to accomplish, to attain, to achieve, to be known, to be powerful, to be popular, to be admired, to be in control, to be successful grown-ups, that it is snake-bitten. And that we're going to die from that venom unless we look to the one that God has lifted up, the one who emptied himself and became nothing, who gave up self-sufficiency. He's promising that all of us, if we would simply look to him, the one who gave himself away completely, then we who are dying can be saved. Because I promise you, the snakes are still around. For God so loved the world. Kenny, you can go ahead and bring your team up. I need you to see this. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him 
shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus explains that his purpose is to save all of those who truly believe in him and look to him. But to look to Jesus, I have to be born again, born anew. Born from above. It is not the goal of Jesus to come and condemn people. Jesus is God's way of throwing wide open the doors of heaven so that people will be saved. For God so loved the world that in Jesus, God gives us life again. Life anew. Life from above. Let's stand and praise Him for it. We sincerely thank you for listening and pray that you were blessed today. To learn more about Rochester Church of Christ, to support our ministry, or to contact us with any prayer needs you may have, head over to www.rochestercoc.org. Remember, you are loved and chosen.